0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of First Church of Christ, where our goal is to lead generations into a life-changing, ever-growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We pray that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. Good morning, church family. Uh, It has been a phenomenal weekend so far, weather-wise. Hopefully you guys have have gotten to be outside, get to be with family this weekend, extended weekend. Um, But I'm really excited to be up here speaking uh, during this time uh, during this Clash of Kings series, it's a series within a series because obviously we're going to be slowly trekking through the book of Matthew and seeing what Matthew uh, has to say, uh, actually what the Holy Spirit has to say using Matthew um, in the gospel. And, and uh, this series, we'd spent a lot of time praying about the direction God wanted us to take and we felt like this was a really good uh, title, Clash of Kings. But within the title, we tried to put some Uh, some language to what does that even actually mean. And and Pastor Brandon, this is what what he wrote. He said, in Jesus's first years on earth, we see the powers of the world clashing against the good news that that a new king has arrived onto the scene of history. And so what we're going to be looking at today, if you brought your brick and mortar Bible or you brought your scripture journal Bible, which is awesome. If you don't have one, please go grab one from the um, from the Welcome Center after service today, they're free. Uh, if you'd like to give a, a $5 donation, that'd be great, but, uh, but no pressure. They're free. Um, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2. Uh, we're going we're gonna to start in, chap- in verse 1, and we're going to go all the way through verse 12. Um, but the book of Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, it starts off by, uh, by giving us the characters that we're going to be talking about today. It says in, in verse 1, it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, of Judea in the days of king Herod wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying where is he who has been born king of the jews for we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him and that that, that uh, those first two verses they're going to give us a little bit of context about the direction we're going to be heading just by looking at the characters the first character we see is jesus it says that Jesus was born. And I believe um, this this kind of represents the destination that God has for us as a relationship with Christ. But on the other end of the spectrum, we see the very next person mentioned is King Herod. Just a little background on who King Herod is. Um, he was a very ruthless leader. Um, if there was any indication that somebody might question his authority or challenge his authority, King Herod would make sure that person was killed. doesn't matter if they were uh, the second in command, or it doesn't matter if it was a baby named Jesus. If they questioned his authority or his status, then he had a problem with it, and he needed, to, he needed it to end. And so that's who King Herod was. But then right smack dab in the middle are the wise men. And I believe that's kind of where we find ourselves, is we're going to have to challenge ourselves and say, are we going to live in the palace with King Herod, or are we going to make a journey To Jesus, And we're going to be looking at um, the fact that Jesus is actually making a journey to us, too. Um, So if we go, if we move on in verse three, it says, it says, when King Herod heard this news uh, that the star had come, uh, when he heard this, he was deeply disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Messiah would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what is written by the prophet. And so now what they're doing is they're quoting the Old Testament um, just to show that Jesus is fulfilling this Old Testament prophecy. It says, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And he's referencing Jesus. And then in verse seven, it says, Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time that the star had appeared. I just want to stop there because I believe that what Herod's doing here is actually a really solid picture of what the enemy does in each one of our lives. Right? He starts off by trying to figure out what's going on. He says, So the star, it represents the Messiah. He starts, he has these secret meetings with the wise men. He's trying to ask them questions to discern what exactly does this mean. And I just want to look back at the very first time that sin entered the world, in Genesis chapter 3. It starts off the same way that King Herod did. It starts off with a question. See, God, he he created the garden, and he created the Uh, he created the one tree, the, the knowledge of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And he says, this is the one tree I don't want you to eat from because if you eat from this tree, you will surely die. And then Satan does the exact same thing King Herod did. He asks a question. Did God really say that you would die? Did God really say that you would die? That's what he said. And then she quotes Jesus. She quotes God back to him. She quotes scripture back. Well, God said that, like that's, that's, God said that if we eat from this, we would die, and, and Satan then flips, flips it. He says, you're not going to die. You would actually be like God, and that's exactly what the enemy likes to do in each one of our lives, is he likes to tell us things that aren't true, but he's trying to tell us that God is holding something back from us, that he says, God doesn't want you to have this because he knows you'll be like him if you have this. He knows you'll be better off if, if you have this and he's trying to keep something from you. and I believe that the enemy is so good at asking questions to us and, and making and then therefore making statements to us that are not true. You, you know you messed up, right? You know you failed. You know you you know you're addicted to this. You know you've let your family down. You know you know you know you did this, right? Like he's really good at pointing questions at us. And making us feel this guilt, this sense of guilt, this sense of shame, and then telling us, you'll never be good enough. You'll never get to where God's calling you to be. You'll never reach that destination. You may as well stop. And Satan is so good at pointing the lies and the questions at us the exact same way King Herod did. But then King Herod, he does something else that is, uh, I mean, strategically probably really wise because this is another tactic that the enemy uses in verse 8. He says, Then King Herod, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. And so obviously we know King Herod was not going to go and worship him. He was going to go and kill him. But I think it's so interesting that he was okay with the wise men going to Jesus. Like you would think in high... like." practically Satan wouldn't want you to go and see Jesus or King Herod wouldn't want the wise men to go and see the person who might replace him as as king. That wouldn't make much sense. But I think that what we can learn from that passage right there, that verse, is that Satan is okay with us coming to church. Satan is okay with things like that as long as it doesn't cause us to do anything about our faith. Go to church. Go to church. But then come back to me. That's what, that's, what, that's what King Herod said. You can go to the Savior, but come back to me and report to me. Satan says the same thing. Go to church. Go sing some songs. Have some fun. Talk to some people. But, but then pig out, eat a bunch of food, come home, fall asleep, watch the football game, and let's move on with our lives. That's, the exa- that's exactly what, the, what Satan loves to do. Is He loves to make us feel like, I'm, I made it to church this week. I did it. All right, we're good. That's exactly what Satan wants you to believe is that as long as you go to church, you don't actually have to do anything about your faith. You you did what you needed to do. And then Satan's going to throw those questions and those lies at you. He's going to say, go to church, but don't give. That doesn't... You have your own bills. You have your own family. Well, don't give. That doesn't make any sense. Or he'll say, go to church, but... but why do you need to attend one answer? That doesn't even make any sense. Like... You you need some rest. Like it's it's weekend. You need to recover from a long week. You got you got to work tomorrow. Why would you attend one and serve one? That doesn't that doesn't make any sense. Why would you like yeah go to church but don't join a community group? You're busy during the week. You need to be home with your family. you need to do this and that. You've got these chores to do. Don't join a community group. And the, the, what Satan will tell you is the exact same thing that he told Adam and Eve is that God is robbing you of something. God is stealing your joy from you. And that's actually, John 10.10 10 says that the thief, which is referencing Satan, Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus came to give you life to the full. Satan is only trying to convince us of the lies that he wants us to believe. And that's so powerful because, because the goal, like he said, like he said uh, the goal is to stomp out any time Jesus shows up right he was he was okay with them going to see baby jesus as long as he could stomp out jesus and satan's okay with you going to church as long as he can stomp that out during the week don't get involved just go to church you can read your bible don't just read it it's probably it's got some wise stuff but it doesn't need to affect your life that's what satan wants you to believe he's really good at convincing us of that and then verse 9 it, it starts to make a turn verse 9 and 10 It says, After hearing the king, they went on their way, and there it was, the star they had seen at its rising. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where Jesus was. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. See, what. what, When we believe those lies of you're not good enough, you failed, your kids aren't going to make it, your marriage isn't going to make it, you're not going to measure, you don't measure up. When we believe those lies, Satan does such a good job of convincing us to look within ourselves to find the answer. He convinces us to say, you messed it up and you're responsible to fix it. I got myself in this mess. I need to get myself out of this mess. And because Satan knows that the answer is never found within yourself, within your own works. He knows it's not there, and so he's going to do everything he can to convince you that it is. But the cool thing is, is, when we actually get the ability to look beyond ourselves, we'll see that maybe we're not at the Savior, but the Savior is at us. This Jesus and, and the wise men were a distance away, but the, there was still a star right there. Jesus sent a star. To go to to show them the way to where he is. And when we look beyond ourselves and say, I can't do this, you're right, Satan, I can't do this. Thanks for reminding me. Then we see we can actually see that Jesus is actually right here. I don't have a ton of time for this next point, but I actually believe it's probably my most important point. Um, So so I'm going to be going really fast in this portion. So stick with me because I believe this is this portion right here will bless you. When Jesus, in the book of John, that's one of the other Gospels, we're reading Matthew, in the book of John, when Jesus died and rose again, the next step would have been for him to ascend to heaven. But in between the steps of him dying, resurrecting, and ascending, he makes three appearances to individuals. He appears to three individuals. And so if if I could ask you, if you were Jesus, you die, you're put on a cross, you're beaten, and then you're resurrected, who would be the first person you would want to appear to? Just something to think about. Maybe your answer would be, I would want to appear to, to my mom, Mother Mary, so that she knows, hey, I'm good. Like, death has no hold on me. I, I have defeated death. I'm okay. You don't need to worry. Maybe, maybe you would appear to Mother Mary. I would probably appear to Pontius Pilate. Pilate was the person who had sentenced Jesus to death. And... Uh, um, that leading up to that process, um, Pilate's wife, she had this vision from God, and she said, you, I've been told from God that you need to, to set this man free. Do not convict this man. Do not put this man on a cross. And then he gets closer to making the decision that he made, and right before he makes the decision, she actually slips him a note and says, again, do not sentence him to death on a cross. But he does it anyway. And I think some of the ladies can understand how that might feel. I heard a story um, the other day about a, a mom. Uh, she took her daughter to Sunday school, little girl. And she comes back and she says, hey, sweetie, how was uh, how was Sunday school? And the little girl said, it was so fun. We learned about how God created Adam and Eve, how God created man and woman. And the mom was interested. And she said, well, how did it happen? And uh, the little girl said, well. God took the dirt and God took the mud and he made Adam. He made man. She says, yeah, well, then what happened? And the little girl says, then God took the brain out of Adam and he put it into Eve. And I think that might be the actual translation of the story. And God just spared our feelings, Ben, uh, and said it was the rib. Uh, But I think that's probably how Pilate's wife felt. Um In that moment, I would appear to Pontius Pilate, but those are not the two people that Jesus appeared to. In fact, maybe you would assume he would appear to the disciples first, but the first person who gets an appearance from Jesus, stick with me here, this is valuable, is Mary Magdalene. She was somebody who had failed God miserably. She, she had messed up in her life, but then she kind of started to get a relationship with Jesus. And then, uh, the, the body goes missing. And Mary did not know that Jesus had risen from the dead. And so she believes that the Romans have stolen his body. She doesn't know what happened. And she's upside down backwards. She doesn't know what to believe. She's hurting in her soul. And so she goes into the tomb and she sees two angels there. And I believe that God had sent those angels there for a specific reason. I don't know what that reason might be. Maybe God sent them there to collect those robes that Jesus was buried in or, or some purpose. There was, they were there for a reason. But then out of nowhere, they see Mary crying. And they stop, they stop what they're doing. And they turn to her and they say, woman, why are you crying? And I want you to know that the first person that Jesus appears to after his death is somebody who's hurting. I know in this church, we've experienced a lot of loss lately, and I'm sure that that's been true in your families and in your, your homes and in your lives, that there's probably been a lot of loss and a lot of hurt in your life. And after, after those angels said that, asked that question to Mary, Mary said, they've taken my Lord from me. I don't know where he is. Isn't that, isn't that so true that when we are experiencing hurt, when we're experiencing pain, it can be hard to find Jesus sometimes? But all she had to do was turn around. And Jesus was right there. Jesus has never been closer to you than, than in your time of hurt. If you feel like you can't feel him, he is right there. The next person he appears to, got to keep going, is somebody we know as Doubting Thomas. He was one of the 12 disciples. Thomas, he, uh, he, he, uh, he was mentioned all throughout, all throughout the, the Gospels, but he's only famous for that little tiny smidge of his life where um, Jesus had died. Thomas believed that, um, that Jesus was actually going to overthrow Rome and he was going to be the new king, but none of that happened. And so Thomas thought that the mission had failed and his time was done. And so after Jesus died, he became the first skeptic. He became the first doubter. He had a lot of questions. And so um, if you're ever called a doubting Thomas, that's where, that, that's where that story originated from. I'm not familiar with the origins of Lazy Susan, but... <laughs> Sorry if there's anybody here named Susan, but if somebody knows the answer to that, it would be, be a trivial, some fun thing to talk to me about after church. But uh, So Thomas was famous for being called Doubting Thomas. And actually, Thomas shows up to the 12 disciples, and he says, "...unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and unless I touch the inner parts of his side where he was stabbed, I will not believe. Unless this happens, I will not believe." And I want you to know that some of you may be in this room and you have a lot of questions. Why would God allow this to happen to me? Why would God allow, allow this to happen to them? They are such a good person. Where is God in the middle of this? We have real questions. And God's not afraid of your questions. But I would also say this to people who would say, I'm a Christian. I don't, I don't doubt. This is what I would say to you. If you were 100% honest, just be 100% honest with yourself right now is there an area of your life where you would probably agree with the statement you would say well technically i believe god can heal it he can change it but i don't think he's really going to is there an area of your life where you believe that is there an area where you have some doubt because that's exactly where thomas was this real honest vulnerable area of doubt and when you're honest with jesus jesus is never far he's never far from you because uh, it says a few days later, the, uh, the 12 disciples were in this room, and it was locked. And Jesus walks through the wall because it was locked. He's, he's willing to get to you however he has to do it. And he walks right up to Thomas. He forgets about the other 11 or the other 10 or whatever. And he walks right up to Thomas and he says, He, he could have he said this. He could have said, Thomas, I was your leader for three years. I told you what was going to happen, and you still doubted. He could have said that. He could have said, Thomas, I just walked through a wall. Do you still need to touch my side, or are we good? He could have said that. But instead, he walks right up to Thomas and says, put your hand here. And put your hand right here. Your doubts don't scare Jesus away from you. They only bring him closer to you. It's okay to have questions. It's okay to have concerns. Bring those questions and doubts to Jesus. And the last person, and this is probably the most important one, is somebody who had messed up big time. And this is another one of the disciples. It's Peter. Peter um he is he's uh, in this portion of scripture very very famous for having doubted Jesus three times. Maybe you've heard that story. Uh at one time Peter said, "Jesus, I got your back. If they're going to kill you, they got to kill me first." And Jesus says, "Look, you're going to deny me three times. You're going to deny, deny even knowing me three times." And we all know the story that it, that happened. And uh then the Bible says that Peter went back to fishing. And I think that's really a valuable, a valuable takeaway because how often when we mess up and, and Satan starts telling us those lies, you failed, you're not good enough, you're, you may as well quit, that we just backslide. That's exactly what happened to Peter. and He had messed up G- with Jesus big time. He had failed him big time. And then Jesus, he, he, he appears to Peter, and they have this conversation, and this is the, this is the valuable, valuable part. Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me, Peter? And Peter responds, Jesus, you know that I love you. Uh, The thing to note is that 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 was written, written in the Greek language. And so Jesus, he used the word agape, which just means unconditional love. So he says, Peter, do you have agape, unconditional love for me? And Peter responds, Jesus, you know that I phileo you, which is a lesser form of love. It's not unconditional love. It's Peter saying, Jesus, I've messed up. I don't have the right to say this to you. I don't have the right to say agape. And so then again, Jesus says, Peter, do you agape, unconditionally love me? And Peter responds again, Jesus, I know I'm going to mess up in the future. I, 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 I phileo you. And this is, this is the powerful part. Jesus was here. He was wanting Peter to be right here. But Peter could only get to here. And so rather than being mad at Peter, he says it a third time, but Jesus comes down to Peter's level and he says, Peter, do you phileo me? Peter, Peter just recognized right there. He said he understood that Jesus is okay with you where you're at. When when, uh, Adam and Eve had sinned in the garden, he said, where are you? I'm looking for you. He knew where they were. He was okay. He's wanting them to stand up and say, Jesus, I'm right here. Jesus is okay with you where you're at in the middle of your struggle. It's okay to go to him in the middle of your doubts. It's okay to go to him in the middle of your questions, in the middle of your hurt, in the middle of your sadness, wherever you are, it's okay to go to him. That's what, that's what we, that's what we hear in that story where, where, when we look outside of ourselves and we see, we start to see that the star is there. I may not be at the savior, but the savior has came to me. The Savior took 99 steps, and he's just asking me to be faithful to take the last one. Jesus took 99. He went to Thomas. He went to Peter. He went to Mary, and he just asked Mary to turn around. He just asked Thomas to put his hands right there. He just asked Peter to be honest with where he was at. Jesus is coming to you 99 times. He's asking you to take that last step. And then verse, uh, that next verse, verse uh, 10, I believe, it says, When they saw the star... They were overwhelmed with joy. And I don't know about you, but I was sitting there with Nate worshiping just a minute ago, or just a few minutes ago, and just the first song, we just both had our hands up because it's just a little little taste of Jesus brings so much joy. A little taste of Jesus brings so much joy. It goes on and it says, Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And falling to their knees, they worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. And so it kind of seems upside down against what the world would tell you to do. They go and they worship a baby. Like, that doesn't make any sense. They go and they give him gold. That doesn't make any sense. And then they get a vision, and they're told, look, if you, you should not go back home this way. You need to go a different direction. I'm calling you to go a different direction. And it it would seem crazy to the world that you would go this way when it seems like you should be going this way. But that's what happens when you get into a relationship with Jesus. It doesn't always make sense. But you have to know that God is always guiding you. He's saying, if you take this step, you'll see me. If you take this step, you'll still see me. I'm here. Just take the next step. Believe and act out in faith. Don't just hear the message. Do something about it. Don't just, don't just read your Bible. Apply it. Talk to somebody about it. Let it change you. Because when it changes you, you're going to start to see the world in a completely different way. And so I want to look back at those three verses and just have you guys write down these three questions for me. If you're, if you're taking notes and if you're not, I would love for you to pull out your phones right now. This is the only time in church where somebody will say that and write these three questions down. This could be your application step for the day. It's just answer these three questions or maybe talk to somebody about these three questions. It says, verse 11, it says, as they wa- walked into the house, on coming into the house... The first question is, how can I enter God's house today? Right, God's not asking you to put together this year-long Bible read-through plan. Just enter his house today. Just read two chapters today. Just spend a little bit of time in worship today. What can I do today to enter his house? What's the one thing God's asking me to do today? The Bible says tomorrow has its own problems, but Jesus is already at tomorrow. He's already dealing with those problems, so don't worry about those. Worry about today. How can I enter God's presence today? The second one, what can I give Him today? It says that they gave, they worshipped Him by giving Him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You might say, I don't have gold, frankincense, and myrrh, but I have a little bit of time. I can, I can spend making an impact in somebody's life. I don't have much time, but I can make a quick phone call and ask somebody how they're doing because I know they they're experiencing some hurt. Maybe you're saying I do have a blessing I can give to somebody who's in need. What can I give today? How can I, how can I serve the Lord today? What can I give him today? And the last one is, where is he calling me to today? Right? It says that God told them to go this way, even though they probably it would have been quicker to go this way. Because God knew something that they didn't. God knew something that they didn't. Right? I believe that when you, as you're in the middle of a storm, we, we need to remember that every single storm that's mentioned in the Bible, it says that the storm came to pass. It doesn't say that the storm came to stay. God is at the end of the storm waiting for you. And in fact, because Satan brought the storm to you, Jesus is going to make Satan pay for the storm. The storm is just in the middle, right? We're right where those wise men were for a while for a time. They were here and then they made it to the Savior and everything changed, which is exactly what will happen if your life in your life, if you just take that next step, you'll see Jesus. And it will change you. It will change you if you apply it. If you apply it, it will change you. I, uh, just real quickly, I want to I wrap up with this story. It's super cool. Um, because I don't know if some, hopefully some of you guys know about our Thrive show, our Thrive podcast. Um, it's on Spotify. It's on YouTube. It's on a lot of different streaming places. Um, but the most recent one we had was with Ken Engle, the um, leader of the elders right now. And I don't even remember the question that was asked of him, but he was talking about the idea that it's, it's so valuable to just be a presence, a body for somebody, just to show up and and, make, and change somebody's day. And uh, I want to just share two stories because I feel like a lot of times we as Christians feel like we need to hear the exact right thing and do the exact right thing and know the exact right verse. But God just is just asking for your faithfulness today. He's just asking you to just show up, right? There's two quick stories I want to share. One, uh, was it happened, it's a, a family member of mine, I don't want to get too specific, had some health problems when I was younger, and um, I remember when I was in seventh grade, they came to watch me race, and uh, I finished third in the race at this big invitational, and uh, there were, the only two people who beat me were the eighth graders who were older than me who were going to move on, and so I was like, next year, this is my race, but uh the top, uh, the top 20 people line up, you know, so 20th place gets announced and then 19th place gets announced. And so then they announce me, I'm third. I get to walk in front of all these guys that I just beat, you know, it's, and they all got ribbons. I get a medal for getting third. And so not to brag, but uh, as I go up, my relative has uh, a health re- a reaction to his health. And I couldn't stay up there. I, I, just, I started tearing up. And I go and I sat down on the bleachers and I was, I was so overwhelmed as a kid, you know, embarrassed, nervous, scared. And then I I walk out of the building and my friend, he didn't have a verse for me. He didn't say, God's here, man, you're good. He didn't give me all the the Christian voodoo stuff. He just said, Hey, Taylor, why don't you come home with me tonight and just hang out? I don't even remember what we did. I think we might've went to a haunted house and played Halo three. I don't know. But he just said, Taylor, you want to come home with me? And we'll forget about it for a little while. His presence changed everything. And one more quick story. The students have already heard this story. But I had a personal health scare. I didn't know what was going on in my body. And I was really nervous. And I went to the hospital. And uh, one of my friends asked me to take care of their chickens and their cats and stuff that day. And so I went and took care of them. And um, one of my friends, I I don't even know how she found out about the fact that I was in the hospital. She showed up to me didn't really she just said how you doing you doing okay and just brought me two cans of chicken noodle soup the chicken noodle soup's not going to heal my 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 ailment but just their presence changed everything just you being you and just showing up and saying how can i serve the lord today how can i how can i be in his presence today what difference can i make today god where are you calling me to go just that one act can change everything let me pray Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are. God, your word says, God, you said, come to me if you're weary. God, and some of us are weary right now. And God, you said, come to me if you have a lot of burdens, if you've got some big, heavy burdens. Because I will give you rest. That's that's what you promised us, Lord. And God, we're clinging to that promise today because some of us are experiencing hurt and pain and questions and we're believing the lies that the enemy's throwing on us, God. And if we just give them to you, you promise us rest, you promise us peace, you promise us joy. God, you're the author of peace and joy. God, I just I just pray that everybody in this room, God, I just pray that this is the moment where they say, I'm not just gonna come to church, but I'm gonna do something about my faith, it's gonna change today. Something in my life is gonna change because I was marked by an encounter with Jesus today, just like the wise men. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast by First Church of Christ in Bluffton, Indiana. For more information, visit FCCFamily.com.